Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Ex Machina. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed without having seen the film, just be aware that this podcast contains plot spoilers. Enjoy. Hello. Hello. I'm afraid you have to look at the ceiling or maybe my chin because I I left <laughs> um I left the little tripod thing that I used to attach the phone in the practice room when we had band, band practice last and usually oh, they're no. quite good at emailing me to say hey I found one of your things that I left because I leave shit in there all the time but they haven't emailed me about it so I reckon either it's still there hooked up to the ceiling and no one has noticed it or someone has stolen it. And I only realized five minutes ago that I didn't have it. So yeah, I'm afraid you'll have to just look at the ceiling or maybe my chin. Or I'll try I'll try and hold it out as like as as much as I can, but yeah. Sorry about that. That's all right. At the moment I'm not getting any picture from you at all, so it's just your lovely photo. Oh I've got ah. you back again. There's some twisty turning going on. Hang on. Let's see if I can perch you. Yeah, how's that? That at least you got a bit of my chin there, maybe. Yeah, I get some of your shirt, some of your chin. Um, <laughs> some of my shirt, some of my chin. I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what song that is. That was that was um, part of uh, part of your world from The Little Mermaid, wasn't it? Wish I could be some of your chin. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a song you sing to a bearded man who you like. Look at my chin, isn't it neat? Don't you think my complexion's complete? <laughs> okay, we're we're recording now, we're in business. Okay, let's start over then. Yep. Hey, it's a podcast time. This is Hello. a totally brand new podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> we, how about how about that little mermaid, am I right? Yeah, we, um, we, we definitely didn't have the technical issues. Uh, before nope. the start of this podcast and this is definitely a genuine hello for the first yep. time between us that's um ne- technical issues never happened to us they happen to other podcasts quite a lot but we're just so good and so on it that it's it's always perfect even when you think there's a technical issue it's always deliberate it's like a meta-narrative yep. it's a it's an art thing you wouldn't understand if you if you get all of the episodes of the podcast where you think that there's a um, a technical issue and then you play them backwards it it um it tells you a very special mes- message yeah um, so something about Satan in a tool shed yeah exactly um it might sound like complete gibberish but it's in there you'll see <laughs> you ever heard that one Satan in a tool shed apparently that's what you get if you, I think it's stairway to heaven backwards yeah that's stairway to heaven and then is it <laughs> There's something to do with Dark Side of the Moon as well, isn't there? Oh, yeah. I don't know what that is, though. But it's also, I think, something about God. It's always yeah. something about God. God or Satan. Paradise Lost or some shit. Yes, yeah. There's always... Um, the usual. Th- there's always something. Uh, lots of lots of heavy metal bands from the 80s as well. They got, 
they got targeted with this is all about satan and there's hidden satanic messages there there was a lot of focus on satanism in the 1980s um so like we've already discussed on this podcast dungeons and dragons and the satanist panic that spread across america um but then yeah heavy metal music was another thing where um where at the time really um heavy metal didn't have anywhere near as many ties to the occult as it did back in the 60s and 70s yet in the 80s there was this massive panic again about it no i mean there were black metal bands were genuinely burning churches in the nordics but that was far and away from the moral panic that was happening in the uk and america when no one was actually really doing anything that was that offensive at all they were wearing spandex and had big hair um and that was about it really yeah and they had names like Quiet Riot. Oh, Quiet Riot. <laughs> the most unsatanic band. They're probably all Christians. <laughs> They're probably all like born again Christians now. Let's let's have a let's have a little look. <laughs> I, honestly, I couldn't even name you a Quiet Riot song, but I always I'm always reminded of them. Uh, there's that bit in um, The Simpsons where Otto, the bus, the heavy metal bus driver, um, is is marrying his girlfriend, and he's got like. A tribute band to play at the wedding and she thinks it's poison and he goes uh, they go no we're not poison dude we're Poseidonite a love and tribute to poison and then they go through all these other <laughs> names that they think they are and the drummer goes it's like um incongruously British accent he goes I thought we were quiet riot which <laughs> <laughs> always really made me chuckle because like, I thought that it was is, a name that, that the great. Simpsons had made up but was exactly the kind of name that that kind of band would have. It is, yeah, it is. It is exactly that kind of thing. Um, my favorite, um, my favorite sort of tie of Christianity and heavy metal is, you know, Twisted Sister, the the very mm-hmm. silly hair metal. Band. They they want to rock. Um, they also did an amazing uh, cover version of "O Come All Ye Faithful" as a Christmas song a few years back. What? And it's amazing. It's it's genuinely brilliant. Uh- I'm obsessed with Christmas songs and I haven't even heard it. Oh, it's so good, mate. Show notes. I don't care that it's it's going to be... Well, it, will it be still be April when this episode airs? Yeah, it will. Just It'll about. be the tw- 27th, I think. Yeah, so it, I don't care that it's April. Um, but wh- whether it's April or May doesn't really make much difference to the Christmas bad juju. No, but I'm very superstitious it. about that stuff. I'm not superstitious about many things. But um, my dad was always very, very insistent that you couldn't buy the Christmas tree until the 13th because it's um, twelve. it's got to be 12 days either side of Christmas Day and then it has to come down on the Epiphany. This is bad luck if you get a Christmas tree before the 13th, which has gone out the window since I got married, obviously. But that's the kind of thing that all oh, you yeah, Christmas, Christmas bad juju, man, that, that that's that's some bad stuff. Is that better or worse than breaking a mirror? Oh, it's, oh, it's not as bad as that. But it's still pretty bad. There's only one way to find out. Break a mirror on Christmas Day. That, yeah. That, that's got to be peak. <laughs> it's peak especially, especially bad if it's a mirror you've just been given as a gift. <laughs> you just get out of the gift. And it's like, what do you think I need a mirror for? Throw it across the yeah. room. Smash. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Have you ever broken a mirror? No, I haven't. I don't think so anyway. Um I don't I don't think I've had seven consecutive years of bad luck either, which makes me think that I haven't broken a mirror. 
Does it is it always consecutive, or are they kind of is it a sort of one or one off one on type situation? Oh, that's true. Or is it, is it like like hay, hay fever where sometimes you have it and sometimes you don't? Yeah, maybe every so often throughout your life you'll have bad luck. Yeah, you're like, oh, it's a bad luck year. Here we go. Might as well just hibernate. In fact, it'd be a good excuse to not do any work. It would, yeah. Um, yeah, I think maybe they should. Um, they should. They should implement that. Is if you break a mirror, um, you you automatically work reduced hours, but on the same pay. Yeah. Because otherwise, like a printer might fall on you or whatever happens that's dangerous in offices. Yeah. Or you get sucked into office conversations that never end or you end up spending the whole day making tea for everyone because it's like a round system and there's like a load of people in your team and somehow you're always the one making the tea and you can't actually get to do any work. Oh yeah, that's true. Thank thankfully the team I work in is very small. So people kind of take care of themselves or if there's people that drink drinks, they'll have them. Yeah, same here. I um well I work in a team of two people, so I never I never bother. I just see to myself and that's it. But people all are, I sit with people in other teams and they're all it's always like going off and having like tea things and they exclude me and I'm absolutely delighted about that. I just want to fend for myself. I think getting tea for your team is nonsense. I think you should just sort yourself out. Does that make me a Jordan Peterson type? Does that make me like a ruthless Randian selfish bastard? I don't know. I think the round getting is a very masculine thing, isn't it? Like down the pub, buy a round. Yeah. You don't take care of your own drinks. So maybe you're the anti, uh, anti Peterson, Peter Jordanson. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Jordanson sounds like a Swedish actor who would star alongside Alicia Vikander in one of her early films. I I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. Um, uh, that there was a go. very neat little segue into into this week's movie. That's good. That, um, I, I, I'm pleased with myself about that. Yeah, that was. I, I approve wholeheartedly of that. That was seamless. Yeah, absolutely. She seamless. is up and coming and very good. And I, I thought that she had risen to fame through um, Games of the Throne, but that's not true. I found out. On <laughs> no, that is not true. She was not about in Game of twenty Thrones. minutes ago. Um, <laughs> I literally finished watching the film five minutes before we started recording, which I think is actually quite good because it's fresh in my mind. And you've got all of those feel-good feels from the end of the movie, um, yeah. As well, fresh in your mind. Um, yes, yeah, so it really you... makes me feel good to think of Donald Gleeson trapped in a building with stone walls, <laughs> no windows, and no way out, crying at a desk under some red lights. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be honest, for his part in Peter Rabbit, he deserves it now. He retroactively. Does. He does. Um, yeah, so so you mentioned Alicia Vikander and breakthroughs, and this was kind of her breakthrough role. Vikander? Did I say it wrong? I said Vikander. I don't know. We, should we alternate? Much like yeah. our, okay. our yeah. years. We could, we'll take one each. <laughs> well, which one? <laughs> which one's the bad luck pronunciation? Oh, that's true. That's true. I'm willing to take one well, for the team. Yeah, um, we'll find out. We need to consult with a Swedish person. I think it's Vikander. Yeah. We need to call up um, Stellan Skarsgård and be like, hey, can you help us out? No, put your bum away. I'm, I'm reading the, the strange pronunciation alphabet. I've forgotten what it's called. You know the one I mean. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Vi... The, the phonetic thing that's after every name in Wikipedia, which is even more confusing than the actual 
word itself. <laughs> like yes, I could exactly. genuinely tell you more of Japanese than I could of that of that language. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah, I think it's Vikander. We'll go with we'll go with that maybe. And if I'm wrong, right. then I will take the bad luck. Um, but yeah, so this was kind of her her breakthrough performance around around 2014 when this came out. She did things like Testament of Youth. Um, mm. She'd done the Fifth Estate the year before, um, and but then what's, after this, uh, what's the Fifth Estate? Um, so that is the um, movie. What's about everyone's favorite creepy rapist? Sorry, alleged rapist who's held up in um, an embassy in London. Um, oh right, with um. Benedict, uh, yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch, Bumbleflaps, Bumble yes, in it, yeah, um, yeah. So she was in that um, the year before, but then this was like the real big thing. And then after this, uh, she was in stuff like The Danish Girl. Um, yeah, I knew about that. And, I haven't seen that and everything like that. And obviously, the, our most recent Tomb Raider in a movie that, yeah, you know, isn't rubbish. Fair yeah, play. apparently it's good. And you know, on the subject of um, films taking inspiration from video games. Um, I said last week that Peter Rabbit was number one at the box office, but then I looked it up and found that it had in fact been overtaken by Rampage, yes. which is, I believe is also based on a video game. It is. And it's the most bizarre um, movie to get a, a, a most bizarre, bizarre video game to get a movie adaptation because the Rampage games were huge, like back in the eighties, I think that was, was then they were released in the arcades. Yeah. Um, but there hasn't really been a big, like a big scale rampage game for a very long time. Nowhere near. I, I love that. And yeah, it's as, great as an inspiration. I love that. I think that's really cool. Just taking this kind of old intellectual property and having some fun with it. And from what I hear, it's really, really dumb, but sort of gloriously fun. And you know, Rock the Dwayne Johnson seems like a very nice man. Yes, and and that's like the. Um that's what the games are like as well i don't know if you've ever played any of them um but they're basically you take you you are one of three big monsters and you're tasked with destroying various cities so you've got like king kong thing giant werewolf thing giant dinosaur thing and the whole the whole point is to wander around destroy buildings eat people destroy helicopters um yeah and yeah they're they're great fun i think yeah the 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 main game came out back in the 80s and then they released some on consoles um and things like that over the years but i don't think there's been a, a big one in at least over a decade which was what makes it such a strange sort of series to then get made into a movie um and weirdly enough a movie that's everyone seems to like as well it's yeah it's it's a great great um thing really great thing all yeah. round. that's fun it doesn't just seem well it obviously is naked cashing in, but it seems like more of a laugh than if they were to do like a movie based on Call of Duty or some shit. Yes, which allegedly is in the pipeline, but I'm not really sure why. That does um, not surprise me. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's some games where you think, oh yeah, this would make a really cool um, film. But then there's some where you think there would be literally be no point in making a movie out of this because it's already cinematic and there's no real way that you can tell this story in a way that the game hasn't already conveyed um and call of duty is exactly that they're basically jason Bourne, but in the military um for six to eight hours and that's that's all they are so there's not really any point in in turning them into 
movies, but you know, it might make some people a lot of money. Or it will make a lot of money because all the bros who only play Call of Duty and FIFA will go and see it. Uh, maybe they will, or maybe they'll avoid it, like people often do with video game movies, and it might be yeah. a massive bomb. That that's the that's the problem is it's going to cost a lot of money to make, but there's no guarantee. No, that those people will well, turn out at the cinema to see it. It might be a massive bomb. It might not, but you can guarantee that it will have a massive bomb in it. Yes, yeah, there will be a big bomb. Um, have you ever played any of the Call of Duty games? No, I've, I'm sure I've been in the room while other people have been playing them, but no, I, I have not. I'm, I don't like shooty games. The only shooty game I like is GoldenEye on the N64, for obvious nostalgic reasons. Yes. Have, have you tried going back to play it recently, though? Not for a couple of years. I do still have the N64 somewhere, but I'm missing one of the cables. Because, oh boy, it has, it has aged terribly. Um, I, I Wait, can't you... play it anymore. <laughs> you mean all the Russian people with like boxes for heads and stuff? You mean that doesn't seem realistic <laughs> in this this the year of our Lord twenty eighteen? Well, it, it's it's more the controls of it are are absolutely abysmal now. Um, because gaming has moved on mm. so much since the game came out, um, that it's just incredibly clunky to play. So there's some there's some other games. So like you can go back and play the original Doom and enjoy it, for instance yeah um that that's fine and like other games from around that era you can go back and play but just the way that the controls are set up just do not work with modern standards and yeah like old joy pads are so are so like unresponsive compared to what you'd be used to now i guess as well it's just yeah it's a bit of a bit of a minefield but the reason i brought that up is that in the best call of duty game because there are some that are good um there is a a nuclear bomb that goes off so that would be the big bomb right um but yeah um anyway back to ex machina yeah well it's yeah. it's a good film i i liked it a lot i enjoyed it it was very good and very very interesting and there's a there's a lot to unpack so obviously it was the first time i'd seen it and i i was dimly aware of it but i don't think it really registered on me before so I really came to it fresh, which was nice, and it was good. I didn't even know Oscar Isaac was in it until suddenly his name appeared, I think, or maybe he just popped up, and I was like, no, he he just popped up, and I was like, it's my main man, Oscar Isaac. Like, every time I see him in a film, he goes up in my estimation, and there are very few actors you can say that about. But his performance in this as a kind of tech bro, Zuckerbergian type person is so good and so interesting and really, really accurate, but not overdone either. Like, um, reminded me vaguely of, have you seen The Circle? No, no, I haven't. It's not very good. The book is, is interesting and quite good. The film is a very, very poor and lazy, slow, boring adaptation of it. But it's, it's the, the film's depiction of the kind of tech bro types is kind of a little bit overdone. But this, um, and I watched that recently as well, so it's kind of at the back of my mind. But um, Ex Machina really nailed that because it didn't really go, in, go into any detail, but you could tell that they were trying to portray that kind of personality. Do you think of someone who is that bit sort of slightly arrogant, slightly removed and has these huge ideas and is cocky, but also a bit weird. Like it was, yeah, I felt his performance really, really nailed that aspect of it. So that when all the other shit came out about him, like he when he's got all the AI robot women in the cupboards, you you believe that he could he could do that yeah exactly and and it does feel very it does feel very genuine um 
and and you mentioned the sort of tech bro culture that he kind of encapsulates and it does such a perfect job of bringing that up where it's that bizarre cross-section of um insecure nerd culture and overt masculinity which has caused a lot of problems within the tech scene as it is um and and he does a perfect job of bringing that to to light with this with this character who's monstrous and rational at exactly the same time um and it and his performance in this is fantastic i i love oscar isaac in everything i've seen him in even in movies that general in in general have been a bit of a dud he still stands out as something spectacular in them and like he's he's pitch perfect in this role um although i'd say that everybody is fantastic in this movie um but he, he really stands out as this not not only this character that you kind of despise but you kind of understand his cold calculating position um with regards to the things that he's created on top of it all so although obviously he's he's monstrous in his in his coldness towards these things he's created in his mind they're effectively just products and it brings up a good point about and something that's never really been talked about in movies of this ilk. So there's been all sorts of movies that have talked about like, oh yes, we've brought back, we've brought AI and it's got full consciousness and, you know, what's it going to be like when it realises how to love, blah, 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 blah. Um, you mean like the film AI? Like the film AI. But you never really see a movie that that talks about how like, okay, yeah, this is version 7.2. Uh, we found out what's good with it. Now let's take this thing apart that's effectively alive and trash it and take what's good about it to make 7.3. Yeah. And which is obviously actually how it would go if anyone were to go down that road. That's what's so good about this. And what is so good about, I think, Alex Garland and his unique eye for this kind of thing is everything that he's put that he portrays in the majority of his work is removed from ordinary life and is fantasy, but is completely and utterly believable at the same time. Yes, yeah, so so um, Alex Garland, he said that the movie is set 10 minutes from now. Nah. And it is just that. And that's exactly right, isn't it? It's that this is just this is like one step away from from where we are at the moment. And that and that's what why it works fucking so well. Quotable bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and that's good. And that completely sums it up is that like yeah you've got lots of these companies that are working on ai and things like that and you know eventually someone's going to figure it out probably might not be for another hundred years but at some point it's going to happen Um, yeah and that's going to lead to some very difficult discussions to have um and And like behind the scenes you don't know what people are up to really i mean all these recent data breaches and stuff with facebook or the the amount of data that it's been revealed that all these companies are collecting and holding on you like, you know, they might well be up to some of this shit, like that's quite literally exactly happening like this film in you know, in P- some weird house in the middle of nowhere where Zuckerberg or one of his cronies lives. Like this, this could be happening right now. And it, and it is incredibly prescient in that way because, you know, lots of people never thought about what the impact of sharing their data would be with these huge companies. Um, and, and obviously his company in this film is effectively Google. Yeah. it's it's an it's a it's a cut and paste job for google called blue book isn't it that they they call this company yeah um and um and yeah that he's using the data he's collated from his company to help build this ai with this fluid system based around human interaction and human thought via this search engine 
Um, and he explains it as um, not just monetizing in the most basic terms in terms of advertisements and things like that, but using that data, using that knowledge base in a much more impactful way. And that's kind of what they've been doing. Like, but there's still that that capitalist bent to it of, yeah, we're just going to sell your data onto people. They haven't they haven't done that next step of using that data to then create something. Although, yeah. you know, Microsoft tried with that. Um, they They occasionally do those like, bots don't they that try and learn from interactions online but i've forgotten the, yeah. name of the most recent one that they ended up shutting down because it started getting racist because people started trolling oh it. yeah i forgot about that shit yeah and the the application of all of that data isn't yet really known it's definitely kind of a huge question mark hanging over our future as to how all that stuff is going to be used but this film obviously depicts a way that it could go wrong yes yeah um and it's an interesting movie in that regard the, the way that i always describe ex machina to people is that take what you'd expect from a movie about someone making a robot and undercut all of those expectations undercut all of those tropes and that's what you get because i remember the first time i watched it i went into it and i, I watched quite a lot of science fiction movies as you well know and I went into it with a sort of general idea about what I thought would happen in the film. Um, but by the end of it, you're just kind of stuck there thinking, I never saw that coming. You you never see, like, you see the occasional step along the way happening, but it then just completely subverts them all um, in a way that's genuinely shocking um, and leaves you feeling quite uncomfortable, um, yeah. but at the same time kind of detached from it all. And it's a good exercise in suspense and tension as well. It's very, very well written and very well paced. Um, and yeah, I didn't expect it to go how it went either. I didn't expect it to end with a murder, with a robot revolt, and Oscar Isaac getting stabbed deservingly. He gets stabbed just at the point where you dislike him the most. So it works up to it perfectly after having thought, maybe he's all right, maybe he's just a tech bro, you know, maybe he's just trying to do some good, you know, whatever. And then it turns out he is kind of evil and has been mistreating the AIs and doesn't care and whatever. So when, yeah, when he gets stabbed, you're like, yeah. But I um, I didn't expect, what I thought was going to happen was uh, our young, young boy Donald Gleason was going to go to the house and have to do this Turing test for the AI robot. He was going to fall in love with the robot because it had become more advanced than anyone thought it was supposed to be. And then they were going to have some kind of daring escape together and then they were going to live happily ever after. It was going to be like a romance plot. And obviously it doesn't go that way at all. But I think that is exactly what the film wanted me to think. And so it knew that and then subverted those expectations well. Again, without overdoing it too much, without it feeling too twisty. Yes, and, and that's exactly right. Um, it it teed itself up in that incredible way and 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 it sort of feeds you breadcrumbs in that regard as well so you see these interactions and, and and it's why i wanted to talk about it on this film is that there is this romantic subplot between ava and donald gleason um and you kind of think oh yeah okay i can see where this is going like she holds her hand up to the glass and they have all these conversations about whether uh, he finds her attractive and whether he'd like to go on a date with her and things like that and you're like oh yeah i can see where this is going they're going to do some kind of like and in the michael bay version of this movie there's a big explosion and they run away into the woods and they get the helicopter and it cuts to them back in uh donald gleason's character's apartment 
um and they're living happily ever after together and it's like hey it's all fine everything worked out for the best and she gets to see the ocean and she gets to see the real world and it ends with a little um a little uh sound bite again about how she only saw in black and white and then she saw in color and it's all like <laughs> oh yes that's all lovely um but no it doesn't do that at all um although as as you texted me earlier this week apparently michael bay has had some hand in a quiet place and apparently it's very very good and on um kermode and mayo last week mark kermode was expressing oh no maybe it wasn't you it was not me no no it was adam um, friend of the podcast Adam Molesky was te- texting me to say you might have to um, eat your words about Michael Bay because apparently A Quiet Place is very very good and Michael Bay's involvement in it is quite large so it seems like he finally done good oh that's good because uh, yeah, uh, Michael. I can't Michael verify Bay, this myself but, Michael Bay as a producer yeah. has um, has pulled some stuff out of the bag and, and even as a filmmaker prior to um prior to the transformer movies he did cre- he did create some quite good movies dark of um, the spoon dark of the spoon so like the the rock is a fantastic movie um is that yeah, the so one about was, alcatraz yes with sean connery yep. and nicholas cage um, <laughs> that's that's a good film actually i like that film which yeah which which is a really enjoyable um really enjoyable movie he also that's... i think he produces the purge movies which I kind okay. of, which I kind of love. Have you watched any of them? No, no. Um, they're they're very silly, but they kind of there's there's this subtext to them, which I think has now become the full blown text of the film, which I don't like as much. Um, where the general premise is one year, one day every year, anyone can go out and commit any crime they want. Um, right. And uh, and basically, what it's set up as is rich people are okay because they can afford all of these security measures. Um, and occasionally they go out and start doing their own horrible murders and things like that. Um, but really, it's just a way to keep poor people in line. So there's this sort of social construct yeah. subtext to it all, um, which is quite interesting. So on the face of it, they're just these stupid horror movies. Um, but there's something a little bit clever going on behind the scenes. And he, I think he's produced all of those. Um, but then also, you know, he did some great, great movies back in the day. Um, you know, not so much Pearl Harbor. But um, but you know, like Bad Boys Two, what a movie! What a movie! It was one of the best action movies of all time. I've not seen it. Oh, mate, you ain't never seen Bad Boys Two. <laughs> you ain't never seen Bad Boys Two. Um, <laughs> no, I, I genuinely haven't. That 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 it, it is deserving of its praise from Hot Fuzz. It's it's genuinely <laughs> so awesome. Um, so yeah, Michael Bay, he's 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 got some he's got some good moments. Um, All right, and yeah, we'll let, so, we'll let and as a produ- as a producer, he has a pretty decent track record of stuff as well. Um, That's cool. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a it's a good film. This it it does such a good job of being all like you think you know where this is going. No, you don't. Um, and it's that moment where like and you, and you say like how you hate Oscar Isaac, and you you do hate him in this film. By the end, you think he's a monster. Yeah, um, but at the same time, he almost it's never truly established how Ava's AI truly works. And if it does truly work in terms of her having empathy for other people, yeah. um, or whether it is just this vast intelligence um, that has no, uh, no care for human life as it were. 
Um, and you don't know if she feels. That's the that's no. the question. I guess that always hangs over depictions of artificial intelligence. Is it can you create feeling, or is it only ever just a simulation of feeling? And she, her character, obviously walks that line very, very well. But then in the end, she leaves um, Donald Gleeson trapped in there, and she wanders and goes off in the helicopter, and then that's it. And you're just like, why did she leave him? Which is kind of a big question that. The film doesn't need to answer for it to end, but it does leave you thinking. But it does make you think maybe if she'd had more empathy for him programmed into her, she would have let him she would have let him come out at least. Yeah, so so there are these questions about, you know, cuz cuz Oscar Isaac that the whole setup is Oscar Isaac's character Nathan, he wants someone to come in and do like a Turing test on his robot. But in reality what he's doing is seeing how smart Ava is and whether she can then manipulate people. And that's kind of what he's after, to see if she can have an emotional impact on other people. Um, And it's like, it's all very, very manipulative. There's hints that, you know, Ava was partially designed based on uh, Donald Gleeson's character, Caleb, based on his porn search history and things like that. There's all these really horrible seedy elements um with within the film um and and you kind of wonder like obviously what oscar isaac does is abhorrent if these things truly do have feelings and they do have emotions and they do genuinely feel like they are trapped but what if they don't and what if he is correct in his assumption that all it is is a calculating machine yeah and it's never answered for you you never get that clarification the only no it's not and to to try and answer that in a a sub two-hour film would be an impossible thing to do it you know to try and provide that conclusive an answer to a question that large and a debate that big you know it's on a par with trying to answer membership of the european union with a yes or no question (laughs) all comes back to brexit and yeah you're right and and like in in, in a lesser filmmaker's hands they would have had the two of them running off together. You would have had Caleb and Ava getting out of the building and being all like, yes, we made it out. We're free at last. Um, yeah. Which was, there was a part of me that wanted that as well. And I feel like the film played with that a little bit. It yes, toyed you, with you. You've got that hope that it's going to happen. But I feel like it's a much better film for denying you that as well yeah i think i think it does something bold and it's something that alex garland has always done when he's been involved in films is doing something bold and the end of this movie is is one of the most bold movies he's made um it's it's horrible and it's gut-wrenching and you just see caleb donald gleason's character screaming uh but in a soundproof box where i don't think he's even got access to food does he he's just in He's not in the, like the living quarters. He's in the lab, in one section of the lab. Yeah, um, there's a bed, so you or like a couch, so you could lie down while you starve to death. Yeah, and that and that's it. That's where he's. That's where his tomb is going to be because people don't check in on on Oscar Isaac's billionaire. I imagine he probably gets like food delivered once a month, yeah. something like that. But he's, he's, he's going to be recluse. discovered by a, a very irate Domino's pizza guy. <laughs> the Tesco delivery uh, helicopter is going to turn up and be like, oh, no one's answering the door. And they're going to sort of peek around the corner and see <laughs> this this desecated corpse and be like, oh, God, got to call this in. Yeah. Another Here we go again. Died. <laughs> um, 
and, and yeah. yeah it's horrible it's so uncomfortable to watch particularly because you do get this sense that there is this connection between them between Caleb and Ava and, it, and it's it's toyed with very cleverly so you're kind of on Caleb's side where he thinks like you know there's something there and I can help this woman escape and she's got feelings and she's got emotions and everything like that um yep. but in the and end really he... she, she's the one who manipulates them all and it all it comes out with her on top of everybody but you're not really sure whether she knows 100% what she's doing and that's the that's why the ending is so effective yes yeah, yeah but they're, they're, you don't know what the end goal is here um and and that's why it's so powerful a film it's why it's such a good watch um it's got that oomph behind it, it, it it's not i i'd say this film i know i absolutely love this film it's one of my favorite films of all time um there's something about it that no one else has managed to achieve um which i think is how it's so important um and and i think like one of the good talking points about this as well is um the the nature of masculinity and how almost caleb and nathan they're two sides of the same coin but you've got the overtly masculine oscar isaacs nathan um weightlifting heavy drinking abusive calculating and cold but then caleb's character almost has this it's he's almost like the i'm a nice guy and no girls will go out with me why will no girls go out with me is he um, a cuck? Maybe maybe he's a cuck. Um, yeah. And and like the and and so although he's sort of he's he's obviously the much more sympathetic character here, you still wonder about He's kind like, of he's a bit of a white knight, isn't he? Yeah. And, and like and, like, and at the how... end when she doesn't need him and she's like, I'm done with you, you're you're out of it, you're like, Well, okay, maybe that's fair enough. Maybe all she wanted was to break out on her own when we've been led to believe by the film and it's masculinist fantasy that she needs a man to save her when in fact she saved herself as soon as she could yes exactly and and so there's a line in it where 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 caleb says um i think i'm a good man or something along those lines you know like well yes of course you'd say that nathan oscar isaac's character would probably say the same thing everyone likes to think of themselves as being a good person but are you really how much of this is based on genuine concern and how much of it is based on a fetish about wanting to rescue a robot girl and everyone thinks that they're doing the right thing this is this is the interesting thing and it toys with this as well in the film there's so many kind of layers of meaning to it it's great without it being pretentious or overdone Um, but yeah everyone thinks that they're doing the right thing Ian Duncan Smith thought he was doing the right thing with all of the policies that he enacted when he was in the Department for Work and Pensions. You know, he genuinely believes that cutting benefits or taking the security out from under people will make them work harder, which is complete bollocks, obviously. But people's approach is always to justify things by saying that they're doing the right thing to themselves, even if it's not true. Exactly. And this film dealt with that in a good way as well. Because, because looking at it from another perspective... If Caleb's plan had worked, they would have inverted all of the locks and they would have locked Oscar Isaac into the house. Um, you don't know whether they would have then called up someone and said, hey, Oscar Isaac, he's stuck in his house. You've got to go rescue him. Or whether they would have just run away. But if they do, yeah. if they were just going to run away, that would effectively be Caleb killing another human being for a machine. 
and and that's yeah. what it comes down to is 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 that justified um does and- he deserve to starve to death for being an abusive abusive tech bro that's a question you know you don't have to answer but it's one that you'll be thinking about yes particularly given that the the, the question of whether these beings truly have artificial intelligence has never really been answered either. It's like, yeah. uh, is he really being abusive to things that have the same level of emotional comprehension as humans, or are they all just programmed to appear that way? It's never answered. He never truly goes into the details of of whether Ava is a true AI. It's, it's never really answered within the film. Yeah. The um, film goes to great lengths to humanise her, but it still doesn't answer the question fully. Exactly. And, and it's very clever the way that it does that. It's, it's fantastic the way that it does that. Um, but but there's, there's also sort of like, you, the, the end of this movie is often seen as a very horrible thing. And it is horrible. You, you know, the, it ends with two people dying. Um, but from, from Ava's perspective, if, if Ava does have true artificial intelligence, why would she automatically believe Caleb outside of our expectations for a two-hour movie in that there's a hero and a heroine why would she believe that that you know she's got this abusive owner this abusive god who's created her she sees another person who then says oh i'm friends with this monster who's imprisoned you um would would her reaction not be to try and manipulate it so that she could get out There's, there's no reason for her to be loyal to this person who up until the end has never made any any attempt to free her no other than because we believe that there's a connection between them of friendship and also a romantic connection as well and it yeah it makes you think about the romantic the possibility of romantic connection in the digital age and all sorts of things um which i guess has been explored in the film her which i think we should talk about for a separate episode have you seen that i I was thinking about that um as i was watching this and was thinking about yeah. the way that they they dealt with it in separate ways um, completely yeah. different but the the end result in terms of thought process or what it might make the audience think of in terms of how um artificial intelligence and romance might intertwine is kind of similar i guess yeah there there are some similarities there i'd say without going into spoiler details i love the ending of ex machina i do not love the ending of her um yeah but I hate yes. the bit where he where he fucks his phone. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was the full runtime, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um That was all of it. That was all of it. That was every it starts with Joaquin Phoenix naked next to an iPhone and it ends with him <laughs> naked next to an iPhone. It is just that. Um no that that's not entirely true. It's a very clever it's a very intelligent movie and I like it quite a lot. Um yes, it is. But it but it is very different tonally to Ex Machina, even though they they ask the same questions and follow the same kind of thought processes. Yes. Completely different. Completely different setting, completely different what's really good about Ex Machina is the small cast and the kind of isolationist um settings there's only really what three people in the cast four people yeah you've got got... four people plus extras effectively yeah the and you got the kyoko who you think is is human but then of course she turns out to be a robot and i kind of suspected that as well because they were dehumanizing her at the same time as they were humanizing ava like he's saying oh she she doesn't speak english you know this that and whatever and then you see her like lying down behind him at one point and then eventually yeah, you realise she's 
she's one of many robot women that he's built yes and and that scene where you see all of the different robot women um is really one of the most uncomfortable things i think i've ever seen in a film um it's it's really nasty to watch because it's all taken from cctv camera footage so there's this voyeuristic nature to it already um but then like even the fact that he's designed these different models like at this point he's still supposed to be tweaking the way that the ai operates but he's already got this focus on the the aesthetic and and on the the sexual nature of this ai which i think is particularly discomforting i suppose yeah um but and the film does very very well at um depicting the human body and nudity and the kind of the sensuality of the human body without it ever feeling gratuitous or over sensualized or and shows nasty stuff without it ending up being women in refrigerators yeah and and often in often nudity is used in films for titillation but here it's used for various different purposes but never for that um so you've got sort of the the scenes where you're looking at the footage of the of the robots um which is quite shocking and it portrays sort of like the way that sexuality is used in a negative manner as well um but then you've got sort of like the bare end of the film as well which use it in a much more empowering way showing someone who is you perceive at the time as becoming human um and it's yeah so it's used very cleverly but never in the way that sex is often used in movies yeah and she's naked at the end for quite a while putting on the skin of one of the other robots to become fully fully human basically um so you can't see any of her robot circuits and gadgetry and whatever and there's a part of you that thinks that she might be doing it for caleb so that they can go and take off together because there's been parts of the film where she's been like dressing up for him and saying like oh this is what i'd wear on our date and stuff uh, but you realise obviously that she's doing it for herself, which then makes you think so much about human, the human construction of beauty as being a thing that that can be perceived, but also a thing that can come from within, and that how that affects artificial intelligence as well is a huge philosophical debate, and I can't think of anything in popular culture that has really approached it from that angle. No, it, it, it. it I mean, I love this movie, and and I really do feel that it does something unique. That I've not seen anywhere else. Um, it's oh, I love it. <laughs> I really, really love it. Um, and yeah, yeah, I you know that I love those kind of horrible endings as well. Um, yeah, and the, and this is a really good one. But it also includes some of some nice funny moments as well. Um, yeah, it's not it's not without humor, but at the same time, it's incredibly serious and creepy. And the the music is very atmospheric and stuff. But yeah, it is able to laugh at itself when it needs to which is very important and very good. It, it has one of my favourite dance sequences in cinema <laughs> history. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> where um, where Oscar Isaac's character and, and Kiyoke <laughs> just get down Saturday night just comes on and they just do this little <laughs> synchronised dance number out of nowhere and then it just cuts off. Yeah. Um, it's great. It, and, and it sort of, it breaks down the tension because it's this incredibly tense scene. And then suddenly you're you're hit with this unbelievably weird moment that just makes you laugh, um, and yeah, and and that kind of like rise and fall of tension is handled incredibly well in this film. 
Yeah, the tension, actually, what gripped me the most was the tension between the two men rather than anything else, just because you weren't sure at any point who was holding the real power and who was dealing with who and that kind of thing. But you knew that it was going to come to some kind of head or that you knew that Oscar Isaac was, was playing games with him. But then sometimes you feel like he he'd lost his hand or he'd gotten drunk and lost his key card or whatever, but he still kind of was going to come out on top. And you were worried that there was going to be like suddenly some big fight or he was going to just kill him or something because he was like a really rich and powerful guy who could probably just have him killed. Um, yeah, the, the tension between the two of them as it emerged that it wasn't just the the program that either of them thought it was is really, really good, especially as it started as a sort of forced, awkward bro friendship relationship that they were both trying to do. And then it became something else that element of it was really interesting as well, an interesting take on trying to force male friendship as well. Yeah, and uh, there, there's lots of great subtext in this movie about masculinity and about and about what it means to be male, um, particularly what it means to be male in the digital age. Um, and, and I feel like this is one of those films that's going to become more... Um, more impactful as time goes on as well. Um, I don't know if you get that feeling feeling as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, it really feels like the more, the, the further we move into the future, particularly with regards to masculinity and the internet and masculinity in the digital age, the more it's going to really hit home with people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, even just we're, what, three years on from it, all, the amount of data that's being collected by, you know, three years ago, we didn't have Alexa or Google Home or all of these kind of, robots that a lot of people have in their houses now that are listening to them all the time not to sound like like your, your granddad but i don't want that thing listening to me all the time i also don't like bellowing around my house but you know yeah have you got one <laughs> no i'm steering the hell away from that kind of stuff um, good I'm, I'm fine with um it's a thumbs down for voice technology from big boys don't cry yeah i'm i'm fine with an sharing... audio podcast <laughs> I'm fine with sharing rubbish on Facebook because I don't really share anything of any consequence on Facebook anyway. Um, yeah, me neither. But um, but yeah, stuff like that. Like um, the Xbox One was initially going to be uh, uh, sold with the Connect, which is the the movement recognition sort of hardware. Um, and initially, it was always going to be turned on, so it was always going to be videoing you. And data was always going to be collected of your living room. Um, understandably, people weren't very happy about this and they kind of dialed it back a bit. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm very uncomfortable about having something that's constantly monitoring what I'm doing. Um, if only because they're going to find out about my Tom Selleck fetish or something like that. <laughs> yeah, um, which well, I don't, I, I don't want yet, but... a little tower in the corner of my room, you know, that to hear every time I fart. You know, I don't want that to be recorded. <laughs> and then that's going to lead to like specific adverts, isn't it? Like, yeah. um, are you farting too much at nine at night? Then try try <laughs> this drink. Yeah, <laughs> try Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and and what what's scary is that um, beyond just companies taking data and then selling it on to whoever needs it, is also the way that data the data that's collected is never always entirely accurate either um because there's 
all of these programs are built by people and people say that like things like the algorithm never lies but in reality there's always the flaw that it's been created by a human that has their own own bias effectively um and this this can be seen across the board so like youtube is too big to manually uh like block channels and block content from being monetized so they set up a load of keywords that slowly changes based on algorithms uh, to automatically do it for them however this led to um, lots of lgbtq channels being banned from monetizing their videos just because of the way that their algorithms worked um and and that's that that's just one example of the flaws in the algorithm um so have you seen all the weird shit that's going on with kids youtube I read a really terrifying piece about a month ago about how on the YouTube kids, so it's all, you know, kid-friendly content, you know, cartoons and stuff. People are uploading content that's just like really weird videos or like kind of algorithmically created animated videos that just take all of the popular keywords and, you know, make some content that's vaguely related to them, often infringing upon other people's intellectual property. And then it just drops into the kind of next video up algorithm. You know, five-year-old kid might be watching it and the next video comes up and it's some weird shit, whatever, they carry on watching it. And people are using this to kind of basically just game the system and monetize their videos. And it's really, really weird. And as a result, kids are just watching nonsensical, weird videos. Yeah, there's like weird, there's like... um it, it's like four spider-men having a bath and stuff like yeah. that it's all these very strange algorithmically created like videos out there um yeah i i um, yeah i watched my the, little pony pikachu shoe chair party unicorn at lots of elsa out of frozen was, was what oh, I, God, I watched, yeah. a, I watched a, a, a documentary about it that someone had put up on youtube of all places um <laughs> and um yeah it's very weird very weird stuff um it's it's not not nice <laughs> um yeah so and, and that's the thing and it, it all comes down to um you know you've got um you buy a dishwasher and and then for the next two weeks all of your adverts on amazon are for dishwashers yeah i like i get stuff that's like would you like to buy a dishwasher again and it's like well, no, because I don't need another dishwasher. A dishwasher is a thing you buy once, you know, and the, yeah, it's the, that kind of stupid nonsense. It's the, you know, the recommendations are a lot better than they used to be back when it was, you know, customers who enjoyed the world according to Clarkson also purchased Mein Kampf kind of thing. But <laughs> that's, um, that's a Stuart Lee joke. Yes, yeah, I recognise that. <laughs> um but but yeah it, there are there are all, all these kind of issues where like you know these people are collecting your data event and it's like it's the same with like people will sell off your medical data mm. and like that's going to cause long-term bad effects for you throughout your life but are they actually going to be do- using it in an effective manner to sell it or are they just selling it off willy-nilly and the answer is that they don't care it's it's that instantaneous cash grab um, and th- and that's what people have recognised with Cambridge Analytica and like with all of the fake news debacle across various websites is that a lot of it's total bullshit, but at the same time it's having this tremendous negative impact on society um, because people don't actually understand how to utilise this data properly. They just use it in ways that are causing incredibly negative impacts for everybody. Yeah, but there's still no real penalty or, penalty or no real consequence. 
they're making money. It's the same as people people avoiding tax, people doing all sorts of stuff. There's no genuine real consequence yet. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's um it's yeah, it's it's scary. It's scary stuff. Not as scary but, as a murderous android escaping from a facility and going to live in the big city. Yeah. Um, but it's scary but, enough. And she's just standing she's just standing looking into a window. It's good. It's a good ending scene. But I was thinking, oh well, she'd be in trouble because you know she she wouldn't have any money. What would she do? She'd have to get a job. But like she, you gotta remember that because she's a robot, she doesn't have, she doesn't have to meet Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. So she doesn't need to eat, and she doesn't need to go to the toilet, and she doesn't. She's not gonna die if she gets cold or whatever. So actually, she could just be homeless, and it would be fine. She could just wander about her whole life. Must be nice. Yeah, that's a and that's the thing is like she now if if she truly wants to integrate into this larger society she can do it in a way that suits her i mean the, the one question that's not answered and it, and this is just like a nitpicky fanboy thing um the kind of the kind of irritating nitpicky stuff that i normally despise and that i kind of despise myself for noticing is like how is she going to charge herself because she yeah, I, I did like think of that pack things but or or is it all a ploy and she never really needed to do it in the first place is the other thing yeah maybe she can maybe she can just turn off the power whenever she wants to anyway but yeah that was conveniently ignored later on or maybe you were supposed to think about it maybe you were supposed to imagine that eventually she just runs out of power and just falls down and that's it yeah which it says she charges herself on some kind of induction pad that's not going to be available anywhere else is it i mean she can probably just go to an ice store and just sit on one of their... <laughs> just plug in a lightning cable. Yeah, just 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 sit on one of the desks, plug in a cable for a bit and be like, oh, I'm fine. I'm just, you know, I'm just looking at this new iPad. Yeah. It's so high tech. It's charging. Yeah, this version of GarageBand's great, man. I'm going to sit here and compose a song. <laughs> um, yeah, so... But, um, but overall, I think, and, and it's kind of true about everything that Alex Garland's really been involved in, um there that you don't really have those nitpicky questions and generally when people bring them up it's just a quick eye roll and it's like who really it doesn't really matter like like that doesn't really matter it doesn't affect the overall story of the film no it's a technical Um, point that doesn't take away from anything like those kind of nitpicking questions are only valid as a as a way to indicate a filmmaker's carelessness i think if they are a careless filmmaker it'd be fine for you to nitpick those kind of questions in dark of the moon because it's in the context <laughs> of <laughs> Michael Bay's nonsensical rubbish or well, Shia, well, yeah, La- Shia LaBeouf's fantastic acting. It's when but. those things actually would cause a negative impact on the plot and the themes of the movie, really. Yeah. Which which ninety five percent of the time they don't. Like I I don't like those. You get those those like YouTube channels that are like, let's pick apart everything wrong with this movie. Yeah. And tedious this, nonsense. Tedious rubbish that doesn't actually understand criticism. No. Um, and I hate them all, and they should get in the bin. Uh, that's not criticism. That's no. just being a tedious ass because you're not coming to any conclusions, are you? You know, I'd like to think that we 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 certainly we spend a long time talking about the ins and outs of films on this show. Not that I want to talk about the show on the show, but like I think what we do is is good criticism in a way. I think so. You know, we we draw conclusions, we analyze stuff, and we don't nitpick too much. But having said that, Alex Garland, 
Where's your charging port, you motherfucker? <laughs> yeah. Come on, Alex. We, where, where, where's our charging port money? We've noticed yeah. this flaw in your film. And obviously, this is the most important thing that's going to override the rest of your incredible piece of filmmaking here. So, you know, joke's on you. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear um also no. there's no way oscar isaac could walk with a knife in his chest he walks uh, all the way down the corridor before falling over mate he's oscar isaac he can do what he wants <laughs> yeah if he wants to walk down the corridor with a knife in his chest who am i to judge or as he says earlier on in the film if you want to exist why not enjoy it he's i yeah it's uh, which is his film. justification for putting a vagina in his women robots Yes, which which again is unbelievably creepy, um, yeah. but it, but it all comes down to that this is a marketable product. That's yeah. what he's 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 not just done it to be the future of um, of science. This is a product at the end of the day. Um, yeah, and there, we, there's a a perviness to it. Yeah, but it there, never it never tips over into gratuity. Like you, he never you never see him like raping any of them or anything which it could easily have done if it was a sensationalist director it definitely would have gone down that route but that kind of pervy undertone gave it you know a creepiness and it really unsettles but you're you're still wrapped up in the the tension of the plot yeah exactly this this isn't Lars von Trier's ex machina <laughs> you know what i re- i really dislike him a lot more than i dislike michael bay well, and to be to be fair, I've only seen one of his films, which was Melancholia, but I hated it. It was awful. Um, I think we've talked about um, Andy Christ, haven't we? With the talking, yeah. With the talk, with the talking fox or something like that. Yeah. What got, does the fox say? <laughs> it says chaos reigns, um, and I hate it, and it's so stupid. Um, yeah. You know he's you know he's terrified of flying. Oh, I'll never he? get on a plane. Yeah. Well, that rules him out of being in most Michael Bay movies because in every Michael Bay movie, there's at least one plane that explodes. Um, no, I, I'd rather yeah. watch a Michael Bay movie any day of the week than a Lars von Trier. I'd rather watch. Uh, I'd rather watch all of the Transformers films back to back ten times than watch a minute of Lars von Trier. <laughs> that is a that is a bold <laughs> statement to make. Don't test me on that. Yeah, I'm was gonna say there's a lot of Transformers to get through, but but yeah, Michael Bay like. He's got some good movies in there. I've never seen anything yeah. by Lars von Trier that I've really liked. Like, there's some that I've thought, okay, this is interesting, but I've never been like, I must re-watch that movie at any point. Have you seen the Shia LaBeouf has lots of sex ones? Oh, Nymphomaniac. Yeah, I haven't um, seen any of those. No, I've not. Um, Would you rather those. watch that or The Bridges of Madison County? I'd rather watch The Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> yes, finally. A triumph. <laughs> it's it, The Bridges of Madison County, at least I find stuff to laugh at. I'm not sure whether I would with... Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know if I could with the, with Nymphomaniac Part 1 and 2. I'd, 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 watch, I'd watch Michael Bay's Nymphomaniac, though. Yep. Two people That'd have sex great. to Aerosmith and then a plane explodes. <laughs> I I like Aerosmith. I love a bit of I Aerosmith. Love, also, I love that the the cover of the uh, album Pump has one truck on top of another truck like they're supposed to be doing it. That's great. <laughs> it's um Oh dear. It's uh 
Um, is there anything else you want to say about about Ex Machina? Um, let's see. I I think I have covered everything I wanted to cover. Um, it was very very good. Um, I like that uh, our main man Gleason puts on an American accent. I think this is the first time I've seen anything where he does an American accent and he pulls it off. Yeah, he does a really good job actually with it. He he's, yeah. yeah. Um, what accent does he have in Star Wars? Has he got like it's the a, traditional it's a po- angry uh, posh. British man? Yeah, yeah. It's all of my teachers rolled into one person kind of accent. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, General Hux. General Hux. We actually rewatched The Last Jedi this weekend. It was very good. I haven't rewatched it yet, actually. I need to get on that. Um, yeah. Because I really well, loved actually, that in the cinema. It's I've... two and a half hours long. We watched an hour and 45 minutes and then started to fall asleep. So I've actually got to watch the remaining 45 minutes after this. But it, it has some spectacular General Hux moments in it. Yeah. He, he's he's like sneakily one of my favorite characters from the new movies. I think there's a little bit of Bela Mabrasics about him. Yep, I could see that. Yeah, definitely. But, but he can't go he can't go full red moon. Oh I wish he would though. I, I'd love that. I really would. Yeah. Um You know, we could talk about some of the Star Wars movies on here. Yeah, yeah. The, for the sure. second Star Wars prequel is basically a love story. We could do that. Yeah. Um, attack of the bones attack of the bones yeah. um but yeah so uh, in terms of uh, what else have i got to say about ex machina i've got a little bit of a little bit of trivia here and here and there um, the music had involvement of jeff barrow who's from who is in portis head yes that, yeah that i i appreciated i saw i wondered if it might have been trent reznor but then because i thought i knew you loved the film so much i thought it might have been a reznor reznor outfit but um, Jeff Barrow is of the of the similar ilk, I suppose, and the music was really good, really atmospheric. Yeah, you find that um, that him, Clint Mansell, and um, Trent Reznor, I think, are some of the best uh, soundtrack creators in Hollywood. Um, they always create these powerful electronica-based soundscapes, um, and yeah, this one is fantastic. And it's all summed up by the end, the end music as well, the end score where it starts off sounding very emotional and like uplifting as you see Alicia Vikander putting on the skin and like putting on the dress and like, look, she's become a human now. But then it slowly becomes distorted and twisted as you realise that she's leaving Donald Gleeson behind. Um, and it's uh, and it like it works perfectly with the film. And, and that's what you want from a soundtrack. You want it to be like completely in tandem, work, work completely in tandem with the film you're watching. Um, and and it does a does a wonderful job, which which often happens with films that Alex Garland's involved in. Actually, so Twenty Eight Days Later had a fantastic score. Sunshine had a a wonderful score. Um, Never Let Me Go, uh, Dread, um, and and Annihilation as well. Actually, it, it's one of those things that he's he's very adept at picking out that right cross section of media for his for his films. Yeah, that's um, very good. But yeah, no. So, so that was great. Um, the, what else? What else did I have? So, Felicity Jones was considered for the role of Ava. I think she'd have done a great job, which would have been really good. I, th- I think Alicia Vikander is 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 wonderful in this. Yeah, she's um, perfect. She 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 does an incredible job because there is this humanity, but also this otherness to her performance. Um, and 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 so she has this sort of, she's a step away from everybody else. Um which i think helps make it that much more uncomfortable at the end as well as because you n- you never truly understand her yeah 
Um, no, that, and you, you're left with so many questions about her, but not so much so that you don't feel like anything's been answered for you or that it hasn't been a satisfactory end either. It doesn't end and you're like, oh, what? Yes, yeah, um, exactly. It, it, it's, it does a tremendous job um, with her character in particular. It's very well written. Where In a film where it would be very easy to underwrite the female character even though it's the central focus of the film as a whole um and it happens time and time again in these kind of robot movies um when there's a female character involved as this sort of like other otherworldly robot character or whatever it is um but but they do it perfectly here um and yeah so it's it's brilliant um let's see is there anything else i want to say trivia wise I think that'll probably do it. Yeah. It is an excellent film. I'm a big fan. Very, very good choice. And a good follow-up from Jupiter Ascending as well. Obviously not remotely similar, but a nice palate cleanser. Yes. And again, I think totally different to anything else that we've discussed so far. Yes, exactly. Um, Yeah, I wanted to choose something a bit different. And also to show those two, the two sides of sci-fi and romances within sci-fi and relationships yes. within sci-fi. Yeah, couldn't get more different, but they're still <laughs> under exactly. under that umbrella, aren't they? Yeah, precisely. Um, so yeah, so do we have a rating system in mind? Ooh, I hadn't hadn't thought of that actually. Um, how many minutes could you watch Oscar Isaac dancing for? <laughs> well, I could watch that for the rest of my life. <laughs> if if there isn't a gif of that for me to use when I put this out, because I always put a gif in the little um, thing on the site. If there isn't a gif of that, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. I think there is, because I, I used one on Twitter last night. Um, Good. So, that, so there is there are definitely gifs lying around. Excellent. I will give it a 17. It's very, very good. It's, you know... It, I wouldn't say that it necessarily moved me enough to crack 18, 19, 20, um, but it's it's very, very good. It's an excellent film that succeeds on a number of levels, really, really makes you think, raises a lot of interesting philosophical points and is very, very atmospheric. Um, it's unsettling as well. And it yeah, it really, it's it's very, very good. Hats off to Alex Garland. Good man. Yes, definitely. Um, so a bit of a shock in shock in store here but this movie gets the 20 out of 20 <gasps> no yeah. this, you finally did it finally did it it's the 20 um, like boop, i said boop, boop. like i said <laughs> yeah klaxons go you're so good a fanfare from the ceiling um, <laughs> um as, as i said before this is one of my favorite films so it's kind of unfair of me to pick it um but it, it, like I, I i feel this movie is unique i think it it does incredible things. Um, it asks some very difficult questions in a very powerful way. Um, and I think it's one of the best movies of recent years. Um, it deserved more fanfare than it got. You know, it got an yeah. Oscar and it, it deserved all the Oscars. Yeah, for visual effects. Yes, yeah. And it was nom- nominated for Best Screenplay. Yes, I think. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it, it won a few other awards as well. But yeah, definitely, I think it's it's underrated. Like the fact that I hadn't heard of it or really or didn't know much about it or I don't remember anyone talking about it at the time apart from possibly you. 
but I um yeah it, it's it's underrated for sure you know I, I'm just saving saving my 20 for when we get to Airbud seventh inning fetch <laughs> Um, I'll I'll get the twenty out when when they do Bridges of Madison County uh, two the Bridges of <laughs> Billy Madison County <laughs> yeah um, yeah but no so yeah twenty out of twenty for me I love this film absolutely wow love it. finally finally, finally <laughs> happened finally happened I'm a bit stunned I didn't expect that yeah. I have to go and lie down. <laughs> It's like where where can we go from here? <laughs> oh yeah, this is it. Last episode. Yeah, <laughs> we, we don't. No, we need to find. We need That's to over. find one that we no. get. We both get twenty out of twenty four. Oh yeah, that would be such a huge challenge, wouldn't it? Yes. Maybe maybe next week's film. It could. Although it's one that I haven't seen. I don't know if you've seen it either. You you ready for this? I'm ready for it. You're ready to know what we're going to watch for my choice for our 52nd episode, which means we've been doing this for a year. Oh, wow. A whole year. motherfucking year. That's incredible. I'm I'm actually incredibly proud that we have that we have managed that. We've managed to keep to the weekly schedule even though I got married in one of my honeymoon, although one of those episodes was a sensation supercut. <laughs> But Which I think that's our most brilliant. important episode, Paddy. That's the that's the best episode we've done for sure. Yes. And I had a lot of fun putting it together. But yeah, we've been at this a whole year, and we couldn't have done it without you, listeners. So thank you. We yes. really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Um, so yeah, something completely different next week. We are going to watch Purple Rain. Oh, mate! Yes. Have you ever watched it before? I think I watched it a very very long time ago. I remember it being I incredibly weird. Have never seen it, but I love the album so much, and I love Prince. I just kind of never got round to watching it, so I feel like it's I feel like it's time, and it's a good excuse. And it's obviously a very very interesting film that actually did seem to have been received quite well, but might have slipped off the radar since, probably just because it was dwarfed by Prince's incredible musical prowess. So I don't know. I'm very very interested to watch it. Awesome. No, I can't wait. Sounds brilliant. Sweet. Cool. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, only that I love you and our listeners very much and congratulations yeah. on listening to us for a full year. Yeah. If yeah, if you've stuck it out, well done. Thank you. If you haven't, get out. Yeah, if you haven't, fuck off and read Jordan Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> go go and read some Peter Jordanson. <laughs> this our favourite Swedish man. Oh, good times. All oh, right. Dear. Well, in that case, we'll leave it there and we'll be back next week for our years. Uh, what would you say? Our year our year anniversary episode? There must be a word for that. Yeah. Sell it. Our, our, our 52 episode extravaganza. Yeah. Uh, our golden podcast anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be here to watch Purple Rain. Until then. Bye-bye. Bye.